So I find it fascinating that, that after all Paul taught in the book of Colossians, after all of these profound things he shared about the person and work of Jesus, when it comes time to apply it, Paul applies it to the most mundane of realities. He applies it to home life. He, he tells us how Jesus is, is reigning over all things, how he's ruling in all things, how he is God himself. He expands our hearts and our minds with this incredible understanding of just how great and good and glorious Jesus is. Yet when it comes time to apply it, he applies it to home life, to the relationship between husbands and wives and kids. Why? You would expect that, that if Paul tells us these profound things about who Jesus is and what he's done, that, that he might encourage us to take these profound truths and change the world with them. Or that we might be encouraged to take these truths and become the best possible versions of ourselves with them. That we might reach our own personal potential. And in fact, I argue that if, if someone today, like a spiritual guru of our day and age, were to write something similar, that he or she would take it and package it as some kind of self-help book so that you can become the best possible version of yourself. They would take these truths and say, use these so that you can become amazing. And it would sell really, really well. They do sell really, really well. And here's why. The reason it sells really well is because we live in a day and age that is obsessed with the awesome potential of the individual. Let me say that again. We live in a time that is obsessed and focused on the awesome potential of the individual. An individual person discovering their great joy, actualizing all of their skills, becoming the greatest possible version of themselves, and sacrificing nothing for no one, entering into the best possible life. Now, with that obsession, comes a problem. And the problem is this. When you are a culture obsessed with the awesome potential of the individual above all, what ends up happening is that you start to see the obligations of everyday life, of real life and real love as obstacles to your joy, as obstacles to you fulfilling your great personal purpose in this world. And if you start to see them as obstacles to you obtaining your great joy and, and actualizing your full potential, then you start to disdain the obligations of everyday life and the difficulties of real life and real love. Because let's be honest, the realities of everyday life and the obligations of real love don't feel like you're living your best life. Chasing your toddler around the house, trying to convince him or her to wear pants doesn't feel like your best life. Chasing your husband around the house, trying to convince him to wear pants doesn't feel like your best life. Trying to stay focused on yet another meeting on Microsoft Teams that could have been an email doesn't feel like you living your best life. Unloading the dishwasher so that you can load it again immediately the right way so that your spouse will talk to you for the rest of the evening doesn't feel like you're living your best life. Scrolling your teenager's social media, Instagram, and TikTok feeds to make sure that nothing sus, as the kids like to say, is going on 
doesn't feel like you're living your best life, trying to chase down your grown parents who are aging quickly and making sure that they don't try to mow their own lawn lest they break a hip and that they take their meds doesn't feel like you living your best life. The realities of everyday life, the obligations of real love don't make you feel as though you are fulfilling all of your great personal potential. It feels like it's getting in the way of the life that you want to live. And if you're not careful, you can start to despise and disdain and be resentful because of the realities of real, everyday love. And what Paul is doing here is inviting us to see life differently, inviting us to take these profound truths about who Jesus is and apply them to the realities of everyday life and let it transform what it means to be a Christian, a person of faith in relationship in this real world. You recall, if you've been with us throughout the summer, that that Paul's teaching throughout Colossians boils down to this, that Jesus is greater and more good than you realize. Jesus is greater in that he is the fullness of God, and he reigns over all things. And he's more good than you realize in that he's not just this distant great God, but he's actually involved in our day-to-day lives. And Paul goes to great length throughout these first three chapters. Christ is over all things, and he's in all things. How great is he? He rules over it all. How loving is he? How good is he? He's involved in it all. He's not distant. He's close. He's personal. He's in the weeds. He's in the dirt loving and ruling over and caring for you. And remember, Paul is fighting against some false teaching that had emerged in the early church that said exactly the opposite. Jesus is not as great as you think he is. He's not really God. And the God that we do know does not care about your personal business, is not involved in your day-to-day life. He's very distant. And if you want to know him, you got to keep searching. You got to keep seeking. You got you to pay us to tell you some of the secrets about who God really is. And so in steps Paul writing this letter and others saying, no, Jesus is God. He's so great. He rules over all. He's so good and loving. He is involved in all things. Here's how involved he is. In order to make you right with the Father and right with the rest of the world, he didn't remain distant. He got close. He took on flesh. And he entered into your everyday life, everyday world. And he walked in our everyday shoes, down our roads, covered in our dust, dealing with our difficulties, facing our death, and then taking our place on a cross of punishment for all the evils in this world, put it all on his flesh, on his shoulders, shed his own blood. And the end result of that is that there is forgiveness for you and for me. Because of his death, you are right with the Father. There's nothing between you and the God who made you. And you have the opportunity and ability to be right with the people around you. There's no reason to have strife between you and other people because the real problems have been solved by Jesus. As Paul says in Colossians, Jesus Christ, through his love for you, has reconciled you, made you right with all things. That's how much he loves you. He got close to you in this world, lived, died, rose for you to make all your relationships better. And now, as a person of Jesus Christ, what what Paul is trying to help you realize is that Jesus Christ is involved in all things, reigning and ruling in this world through your willingness to mimic him. 
as you embrace the difficult realities of what it means for you to love your family well, for you to love your neighbor faithfully, for you to show up work, show up to work as your full self, not disengage from the task, but bring in the best. As you embrace the realities of everyday difficult love and life, Jesus Christ is reigning and ruling through you. Jesus has good things he wants to bring to your kids, and he's going to use you. Jesus has good things he wants to bring to your spouse. Guess who he's going to use? You. He has good things he wants to bring to your annoying coworker. Guess who he's going to use? You. He has good things he wants to bring to your block, to your neighborhood. Guess who he's going to use? You. Jesus is so great that he's above all things and so good that he's ruling in all things. And he's going to rule in all things, the complexities and difficulties of everyday life through you embracing the difficult realities of everyday life. You know, there's a story that's been told about JFK visiting NASA headquarters here in Houston during the the heat of the space race, like 1961. Maybe you've heard this anecdote, this story before. But, but JFK is touring the NASA headquarters, and he's, he's there quite late at night. And he stumbles upon a janitor. And he says to this janitor, he asks him, what are you doing working so late? And the janitor's response to the president of the United States is this. He's holding a mop, and he looks at the president, and he says, sir, I am helping to put a man on the moon. He was mopping floors. He was cleaning toilets. He was doing the work that nobody wanted to do, but he was able to see, at least in that moment where he met JFK, that it was connected to this higher purpose, this greater goal, that it was all happening through him too. What is Jesus doing in this world? He's reigning over all things. He's involved in all things through you and your willingness to embrace the difficulties of everyday love as a a mother, as a father, as a kid, as a niece, as a nephew, as a friend, as a coworker. In all these things, that's how Jesus is loving and serving this world, through you. Now, in the middle of that, Paul here gives us a promise to sustain us. He gives us a promise, and the promise kind of goes like this. It's... If you go all in, in embracing the difficulties of what it means to love other people well, you will not miss out. Because let's be honest, that's the fear. If I give myself over to what it takes to love these kids well, it takes a lot, or to love my spouse well in a difficult season, or to show up to a job that I don't really love or appreciate, to show up to it well, I don't want to lose myself in that. But the promise that's given to us is that you will not lose yourself. You, you, you will not miss out. Look, at, look again to what, what Paul says to the household employees and, and to what he says really to everyone in the house in Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 23. He says, whatever you do, work heartily, work with your full heart, as for the Lord and not for men, and here's the key part, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. It's easy to overlook this, but this is a profound promise. What Paul is saying, led by God, is this. I know that it's hard to be faithful in the little things, knowing that God is working through you. 
But as you are faithful in the little things, the difficult things of loving well, understand that Jesus sees you. He has not forgotten you. And that he will reward you. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, what kind of reward, Pastor Matt? Tell me what this looks like. We're not talking monetary rewards. It's actually better than that, although you probably won't appreciate that it's better until the very end. You know what the reward is? The scriptures talk about it a number of times. It's, it's God looking at you and noticing your faithfulness in the difficulties and realities of what it takes to really love and serve. And him looking at you in the very end and the one who made you the only one whose opinion ultimately matters, looking at you and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You, you know the feeling when someone whom you respect, who you want to be like when you grow up, notices your effort and looks at you and says, hey, I see it. I see it. And I approve. You know how that fills your heart and soul and you're like, yeah, I could do this for a little bit longer knowing that they see me and love me and approve of me. Take that that feeling, multiply it a couple million times over, and that's the reward in the end. The maker of all things, seeing you, embracing what it takes to love those kids, love that husband, love that friend, be faithful at work, seeing that, knowing that you sacrifice so much of your awesome individual potential in order to be faithful to that, and the only one whose opinion matters looking at you saying, I see it, I saw it, and I approve. Well done, good and faithful servant. And you want to know why God the Father is going to like it and love it so much? Because it looks a whole lot like what his son Jesus Christ did for you. Now, as I share this, I think there are, there are at least three people who need to be encouraged by this truth. I, there are a lot of people who need to be encouraged by this truth. But for me, there are three people who come to mind. The first is the mom among us of really small kids. And you know who you are. You're in that stage of life where, where the days are real long. The years are short, oh, but the days are real long. And there's a mom among us who is, who is working outside the home and, and, and trying to be fully engaged there, but also trying to be fully attentive to the needs of the family and who is feeling guilt in both directions. Because it's like, I can't do enough here, I can't do enough here. Am I a terrible person? I don't know. Or the mom who, who is able to be at home all the time and in her world it feels like has become like really, really, really small. Like, like she can sing the Coco Melon theme song because it's, it's playing all the time on an iPad near her. Or she's gotten really good at, at, at folding miniature clothes and craving adult conversation. And as she folds those clothes, she's thinking to herself, uh, I have dreams too. And I have an education too. Have I set all that aside for this? And she feels the cost of what it takes for her to be present in her family intimately. Jesus' promise to you through the words of Paul is this. He sees you. He has not forgotten you. And he will reward you. 
The other person I think this relates to is the, is the person who is um, spending a good deal of time taking care of their quickly aging parents. You had different plans for your 40s, 50s, and 60s. But, but now you find yourself worrying about mom and dad nonstop or, or going back and forth with your siblings about who weak, whose weekend it is to spend some time with them and care for them or mow their lawn. And, and you're tired of kind of chasing them down, getting them to take their meds or, or, or taking so much time to take them to doctor's appointments. And it's tough because you feel like very often, like they're pushing against the care that you're trying to give to them. Like they're not appreciating that it's a big sacrifice for you to be a good kid right now to them. You feel like they're working against all the love that you're trying to give to them. It is not appreciated. It is really, really hard. And you can feel all the other stuff, all the trips, all the time with your own grandkids that you're setting aside to be here and be a good daughter. Jesus sees you and he's not forgotten about you. And he will reward you. Or the person who's in a job that they just don't like. Maybe it's because they got an idiot for a boss or they've got some really kind of unhealthy, dysfunctional coworkers. Or maybe it's the task itself just is not challenging or edifying in any capacity. And you feel like every morning when the alarm on your phone goes off and you roll out of bed, like a little piece of you is dying and you don't know how much is left to give. And if that's where you are, my, my encouragement for you is to remember that, that as you look for something new, and if it is that bad, you might want to look <laughs> for something new, that as you look for something new, you would know this, that as you still decide to show up and be faithful, to love well as an employee, as a teammate, that Jesus sees you and he has not forgotten about you and that he will reward you. For the rest of us, I think there's a question for us to wrestle with flowing out of these, these words of Paul. A question that, that might feel a little vulnerable, but knowing that our tendency is to push away from the realities of what it takes to love other people well, uh, it's a question worth asking. And the question is this, how have I held back in my love of others? How have I held back in embracing the realities of what it means to love well at great cost to myself in my family or in my workplace or in my neighborhood? How have I held back? Let me give you some examples. It could be that, that, that in your marriage, you understand the love language of your spouse. You know what love languages are, right? It's, it's this idea that, that each of us has kind of our own secret way in which we, we feel and we receive love from another person. You know, so some of us, we feel most loved when someone gives a gift to us. Or we feel most loved when someone gives words of affirmation to us. Some of you are like, I feel most loved when everyone leaves me alone. Everyone's got their different language. It might be that you know what your spouse needs in order to feel loved, but you have just, for whatever reason in this season, you have just been unwilling to offer it. It happens. You are holding back in the hard realities of what it takes to love well, and it's time for that to end. Or maybe when it does come to work, you know that you've been mailing it in for a while. That for, for, for many reasons, all of which you feel are justified, you have not been bringing your best self. You have been showing up half-hearted, half-present. 
for a long time. And if you're doing that, what you need to know is that, that you're not being faithful, even though the job is awful. You're, you're not being loving. You've been rejecting the hard realities of what it means to love well in this season of life. And, and it's time for you to consider, what do I need to do in order to show up as my full self and my best self in this place? I don't know what it looks like for you, but maybe it's your neighborhood. You've noticed a need in your neighborhood, the lady across the street, the family next door, and over and over again, you thought to yourself, someone really should walk over there and talk to them. Someone really should do something. Someone really should step up and deal with this. You know who that someone is? It's you. How have you been holding back and embracing what it takes to love well? I'll close with this. One of the things that I really enjoy about being a pastor is marriage counseling. I really do, especially premarital counseling. I get to meet with a lot of young couples who are on their way to the altar. We get to talk about life and love and marriage and Jesus and how it all fits together. And I like working with, with premarried couples because they come in with, with lots of kind of romantic ideas about what their marriage is and full of excitement. And I'll, I'll ask them, what are you most looking forward to about being married? And without fail, they'll say something like this. Spending every day together. Like, oh, so sweet. <laughs> and then fast forward like eight years, and they come back to my office for a tune-up. And I ask the same question. What brings you in here today? And they say, spending every day together. <laughs> and so I ask them this question. Um, what, what does real love look like? What does real love look like? Is it, is it having a romantic getaway twice a year? Is it, is it holding hands at HEB even after all these years? Is it long talks on the couch every night where you spill your heart and bear your soul every night after the kids have gone to bed? And certainly that's part of it. It's not the substance of it. You know what real love is? Real love is pretending to like her show on Netflix. Real love is holding her bag as she tries on a dress. Real love is laughing at his jokes, putting up with his parents. Real love is choosing to reconcile a thousand times over the course of a life together, over a million minuscule frustrations. That's real love. Real love is understanding that the great point and purpose of your life is not realizing the awesome potential of you as an individual, but real love is being willing to lose a bit of yourself in loving a sinful human being other than yourself. That's real love. As followers of Jesus Christ, may you not disdain or despair over what it takes to love well in any of the areas of your life. May you understand that the obligations of love are not an obstacle in your life, but they are the stuff and the substance and the beauty and the joy and the meaning and the purpose in your life. 
And as you do this, may you know that Jesus Christ himself, who has lived for you, died for you, risen for you, reconciled you to all things and given that to you as a gift, may you know that he sees you and he has not forgotten you and that he will reward you and that he has done all of this and more for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the high calling of loving other people. But we confess that it is difficult in a world where we are told never to set ourselves aside and to maximize every possible potential in our lives as individuals. It is hard for us to wrap our hearts and minds around focusing our lives on the difficulties of what it takes to love other sinful human beings well at work, at home, and other places. But Father, help us to believe what you call us to, that, that this is the best and most beautiful way in which we mimic the very love of Jesus Christ. Help us to understand that Jesus loves us this way and and may that drive us and free us and encourage us to love this way as well. Help us to embrace the hard things of what it takes to love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.